Hello, and welcome to the Market Bull Podcast. Please note, topics and stocks discussed in this podcast are not financial or investment advice. Before this episode starts, I just wanted to thank you, the listener, for the continued support you've shown the Markable podcast so far. Since we started the show, there's been overwhelmingly positive feedback and it's just been an incredible journey. We have great plans to further develop the show, so thank you for taking the time to listen to me each week. If I can ask one favour of you, it's to please hit the follow button and review the show on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Today on the show, I was joined by Joe Millward, a founding partner of Epsilon Direct Lending, which is a type of investment firm that specialises in providing finance solutions to small and medium-sized businesses in Australia and New Zealand. Epsilon Direct Lending primarily focuses on direct lending, which means they provide loans to businesses without intermediaries, such as banks or other financial institutions. Joe elaborated on what the private credit market is and how companies gain access to the capital. Joe also discussed on why he and his partners started the company after seeing a gap in the market between the large banks and the startups. Joe spoke about how the team evaluates potential companies looking for finance and the processes involved in securing a loan. Joe touched on the risks and insurance options that the industry utilises, a sector of the market that may be unfamiliar to some. I hope you enjoy listening. So hello and welcome to the Market Bull podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kostrich, and joining me on the show today is Joe Millward, the founding partner of Epsilon Direct Lending. Welcome to the show, Joe. Hey, Ben, thanks for having me. So for those, and I know I can happily say I had no idea about this sector of the market as a bit of a naive up and coming investor and, and business person, but can you give a bit of insight into what Epsilon Direct Lending is and this private credit industry? Yeah, sure. So demystifying what private credit is, it's one of the oldest asset classes in the world. It's just lending. Okay. And the reason it's got its own label of private credit is because the banks have by and large always been the lender. And so when people think about loans, they think about banking and financing and, and, and that side of that side of the world, private credit is just the label the market has given to lending when it's not a bank that's doing the lending, but a fund. And so that's what Epsilon Direct Lending is. It's a fund that provides loans. And we provide at Epsilon loans to medium-sized companies in Australia and New Zealand. And we provide those loans to help those companies grow. It might be through an acquisition. It might be through a change of ownership in the company. So say a private equity firm buying a business, we might provide a loan to support that acquisition. It might be a family-owned business that wants to start a new product or expand into new geography. We're providing growth and event-driven financing to medium-sized companies in Australia. That's private credit in Epsilon's world. Okay. And touching back, because I wanted to introduce what the whole company was, but going back in, in your history, how did you land yourself in this fascinating part of, of private credit and, and financing? Yeah. So I started off as an accountant um, in the late 90s. I'm from the UK. Ben and started off with, um, uh, kind of a year or two into my career with a mob called the Royal Bank of Scotland, um, which has got an interesting history of some of the, um, some of the listeners will be very familiar with, um, with what happened there in, in the, in the GFC started as a lender in the, in the bank's balance sheet team. So providing loans to companies, leveraged buyout financing, that kind of stuff moved into the bank's asset management division. So I've been a private credit 
fund manager for quite a long time now, including managing a whole bunch of money on behalf of investors through the GFC. But I moved to Australia um, around 2009 and after a little stint in investment banking, uh, joined the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, where I did much of the same thing that I did at the early days at RBS, providing loans to companies to support their growth. And that's where I met uh, my two um, my two business partners, Mick Cry-Smith and Paul Nagy, um, were the three guys that started Epsilon uh, three years ago. And why did you see that opportunity and decide to, to create this, this new group? Was At the time, did you see an opportunity within the market or just a way to, to make it a bit easier to access money for these companies? Yeah, so the main driver for the three of us were that the customers that we were lending to asked us to make life easier for them. Um, they asked us to start a private credit fund uh, because private credit funds, normally um, the loans that are made to companies, the decisioned by the investment committee and those members of the investment committee are normally the owners of the fund, the owners of the business. And so your efficiency in decision-making and the direct nature of your relationship between the decision-maker and the borrower, um, a lot of borrowers in the market find that a lot more efficient, a lot more user-friendly. and um, the basis of lending upon which trust can be more readily built because you're liaising directly with the lender, the decision maker. And so, yeah, it was the borrowers, the customers that we dealt with that asked us to start Epsilon, um, to make life easier for them to access capital in the Australian market. But the real genesis of it for me personally was that in kind of establishing Epsilon, I'm, I'm sort of betting on the replay. Um, if you rewind 15, 20 years, um, all the way back in 2001 in Europe, when, you know, I helped start the Royal Bank of Scotland's private credit funds management business, there was no private credit market. It was all banks lending. And so I saw the evolution of the market in Europe and probably five, 10 years before that. And in the U S the market had already evolved and seeing this massive market share shift from banks lending this type of money to funds lending this kind of money. And I wanted to be a business owner and, and kind of capture all the upside that comes with, um, taking a chance on a new and evolving market in the Australian context. Okay. And then, so I'm assuming you built up a whole vast of networks whilst working at, at CBA or Commonwealth bank, and then progressing into this new sort of industry. How did you go about setting that up and, and even getting the, the funds securing to, to start going out and offering this, these loans for, for companies looking for money? Yeah, that was, that was interesting. Um, we, we, we quit the jobs, um, all for slightly different reasons, actually, but then kind of came together quickly after and, and said that we should give it a crack. And, and then a few months later, COVID hit. And so we had all these wonderful plans of, you know, traveling around the country and talking to a bunch of people. Um, and then, uh, then COVID hit and we had to rethink a little bit. Um, what we, what we focused on, we, we knew that we could, um, lend the money. Um, yeah. we knew that the. The um, demand for loan capital to support the growth of medium-sized businesses was there and that that market was underserved uh, by the major banks and not very efficiently served by the major banks. So we weren't worried about deploying capital, so we didn't focus much there. What we had to really focus on was raising capital in order to deploy it. And so we just met a hell of a lot of people and got yeah. a hell of a lot of different perspectives. Um, we spent a lot of time and money um, in evolving our pitch and understanding what investors need in the Australian marketplace, um, all the friction in the decision-making process. That's where we invested a lot of time and energy. Um, we were fortunate that we, um, 
build a great relationship with a financial investor. Um, so there's an investor that um, owns a, a piece of Epsilon that has provided great counsel uh, through the years and helped us establish our, um, our offering. Uh, but yeah, it was really around understanding the investor landscape in Australia and then just getting out there and pitching and, and offering um, what we felt like was an attractive um, investment return um, at the right time and stage in the evolution of the private credit market in Australia. And I mean, fast forward now, it's, it's a few years on and we've gone through the whole pandemic state and I mean, markets are, how would you say, quite iffy still at the moment in regards to interest rates and, you know, fiscal policy across the world. What sort of impacts is that having on, on yourselves running the company, but also in regards to having these conversations again, considering that, I mean, I can happily say that I don't think it's really been an easy run for many businesses across the world. Some have definitely thrived, but for the past couple of years, it has been tough going. And especially, you know, what all we're hearing about now is, you know, getting access to capital and then also this, this looming, these interest rates that continuously are impacting the ability to get capital as well. Yeah. When you think about private credit and, and what it is, you're lending money and, and, and Epsilon, we lend money on a secured basis. So we take security over the loan, um, over the, the company that we lend to, all of the assets, the subsidiaries, the shares on issue in that company. Normally they're private companies that we lend to. Yep. Um, your, your, your money, because it's secured, um, can weather a lot of fluctuations in the total value of a business because the first loss capital is the equity that's being provided. So when, you know, you sit back and you look at all the fluctuations in the share market, that's the equity capital value yep. of a company traditionally, um, bumping up and down as, you know, investors, buyers of equities, uh, react to market input, market stimuli. When you're a lender, what you're really focused on is the downside. You're focused on not just the short-term fluctuations in what people think, you know, sentiment-driven um, investing activity. You're focused on the longer-term drivers like interest rates, like GDP growth, recessions, and so on. Ultimately, what you're trying to figure out uh, for Epsilon um, is whether the earnings that are being generated by that business are sustainable and predictable and how much those earnings can drop before you're actually worried about not getting repaid. And so we're not so worried about all these short-term hand grenades that go off when you hear yeah. about, you know, X, Y, Z going bust or this guy committing fraud or mm. the Fed raising rates by 25 bips. That doesn't really shift the way that we think about credit. What we're worried about is whether a company that we're going to lend to has a real reason to exist and whether the goods or services they're providing the market are goods or services that people would need in all market conditions. And that's what we really care about. Now, an input into the affordability of a loan is the interest rate because all of our loans are floating rate. And so as interest rates go up, whilst the investors in the fund receive the benefit of that increase in interest rates, borrowers have to pay more interest cost. And so we always run quite strong sensitivity analyses to make sure that companies generating plenty of cash flow to pay the interest bill. Um, even if you know, the, the swap rates, the cash rate blow out by another three, 4%, the borrowers in our portfolio can afford those interest rates. So again, we're not lending at the cusp. It's not super yeah. risky lending that we're doing where we're really worried about all these minutiae market movements. We're worried about the longevity of a company, um, its sustainable competitive advantage and the predictability of the cash flow it generates. That's what we're really focused on. And I mean, that opens up the idea of how do you even evaluate uh, a company or, or if someone comes to you and goes that we're looking for, for financing. 
I mean, where do you even start uh, without giving away the recipe for success in a way, but what, what would you say are the key identificational points that you'd look at with, when these companies approach you, or even if you're going out to them, you know, outbound and, and asking them if they need assistance that you've done your research, where do you even start in that sphere? Yeah, there's no real IP or edge, um, mm. to this It's it's actually not that different to the approach that fundamental equity investors take. Ben, you know, that they'd look at the, the cash flows historically that a company generates its profitability, its margins, sustainable competitive advantage, as I said, you know, why does this company have a real reason to exist? Um, and we, we unpack it all and we say, what do we think is going to happen in the future? And then we smash the future. You know, we kind of run all these downsides with this big negative bear hat on and we kind of say, okay, so, you know, what if the demand for their products, um, halves over the next five years, can they afford to repay our loan? What would be the value of the company if their margins contracted? by 20, 30% because labor markets might get tight and they might have to pay their staff more or shipping costs might blow out or interest rates might increase. You know, what are the mm. claims on the cash flows? So these are all kind of fundamental investment analyses that you perform if you're an equity investor, but you're just a hell of a lot more focused on the downside as a debt investor, because normally for most lenders, you're worried about return of capital, not return on capital. You're trying okay. to create a product where um, you're always going to get your loan back and hopefully you'll make a nice return on top of that, but you're not trying to make equity like returns and accept equity like volatility with the potential of making a two, three, four times money multiple investment one day. Yeah. The best you're ever going to do is the interest rate and the fees that you charge. And so that's why you've got to be really focused on that downside. Okay. And then in regards to focusing on the downside as well, I mean, there's, there's areas of the market that, you know, natural investors may not be privy to. Uh, especially, you know, coming from an equity side of thing, you know, shorting or, or taking out insurance in a way or options on, on stocks and, and, you know, equity. What are, what are some of the ways that, that someone in your shoes would use the, you know, options available to sort of leverage the downside to make sure they're not really, you know, if it does go underwhelmingly bad, you're not completely screwed in, in the process. Yeah. One of the things I love about lending is its simplicity. So when you're lending, you're working in a cash game. And by that, I mean, I'm making a loan. So I'm giving someone cash and I'm getting interest back and that's cash and I'm getting my loan repaid. And that's a cash movement. You don't tend to have in private credit. You don't tend to have market driven or derivative overlays to enhance your upside or protect your downside. It's not really a feature of the market. There are pockets of the market, um, particularly in the very developed and liquid private credit markets, such as the U S and some European markets where you can use swaps, yep. um, to protect your yeah, interest rate or FX exposure, for example, or options, um, you can hedge your portfolio credit risk, your risk of impairment of loans by, um, by putting bets basically on the leverage mm. loan market. So there are traded indices. There are buckets of leverage loans that are, have kind of private secondary markets, but then, um, over the counter derivative instruments that allow you to hedge your total portfolio exposure or segments of it. That's not really a main feature of, of private credit though for fund managers. Normally we're just focused on the cash markets 
Um, we're worried about credit risk, risk of a borrower failing to pay interest or principal as it falls due. We're yeah. also worried about market risk. We don't use okay. derivatives too much. Now, one thing that we do though, having said that is when our borrowers borrow money, because they're due to pay us a floating rate, they're exposed to interest rate risk, right? So they do have market risk and I, you know, it, we as a lender and our investors, they bear that market risk rates going up to a degree, because as I said earlier, when you've got more interest to pay, your credit risk is heightened. So what we do sometimes is ask our borrowers to take out hedges against interest rate increases. So they might buy an option structure that um, swaps their floating rate exposure back to fixed rate. Their trades that the borrower puts on as a requirement of us lending money. So sometimes we require others that we deal yep. with to take out hedges. But as a fund manager, we're simply receiving a floating rate and we're paying that onto in investors and we're trying to manage the credit risk in the portfolio. And that's almost all on a cash basis. Okay. And then going into the actual companies that you offer this for, you said small to medium. Uh, is there a particular sort of segment of the market that you're interested in? Or again, is it open-ended? Really any company with any potential can come and, and you know, speak with, with Epsilon about potentially funding. Yeah. So, so get this. Um, the corporate loan market in Australia is a trillion dollars in size. And if you add in consumer loans, the total loan market in Australia is far bigger than the equities market in Australia, public equities market, right? So it's this huge market nobody really knows about. Within that trillion dollars, and that trillion dollars is any company that has borrowed money in Australia, okay? Within that trillion dollars, there are different segments. We're focused at Epsilon on the middle market. So your typical segments within corporates are small businesses and they're companies that are anything from your, you know, your news agent, your hairdressers, sole trader type businesses. Um, um, so they're, they're your typical small businesses. They might have 10, 20 employees. They might own a few different cafes, but then you get into the mid market. And, and what we love about the mid market is these borrowers, they're not big enough to have access to the capital markets where you get the enormous advisory community overlay, right? And tons and tons of sources of offshore capital, you know, banks that you've never heard of from Asia looking to lend money to these companies where, you know, Goldman Sachs or UBS or Macquarie might be arranging a syndicated loan. Um, that's not a feature of the middle market. And so you don't get all these intermediaries clipping the ticket, but the companies are big enough to weather the storm. They've got diversified revenues because they sell multiple products. They might have hundreds or thousands of customers nationally. They normally operate on a national presence. Um, they've got longevity. You know, the average company that we lend to has been around for 30 years, but they fly under the radar. And normally they're a leader in their sector, in their industry, but that industry isn't big enough to be an ASX 100 company. So, you know, a simple example would be um, a company that we currently lend to, which is the largest trainer of IT professionals in Australia. Okay. So, you know, if you're a, an ASX 100 company, your IT department needs to be trained and up to date on the latest Microsoft cloud Azure technology, because Microsoft always releases new, new software patches, constantly retrain your stuff. These are the biggest trainers in Australia. So you think to yourself, well, IT skill shortages in Australia, what a great place to be. But the total amount of money that companies in Australia spend on IT training means that that sector isn't big enough to really feature in the ASX 100, 200. 
So it fits in the mid-market definition. So it's still a great, sustainable, defensive business, great characteristics to lend to. And that's what we love at Epson is lending to these companies that kind of fly under the radar, that occupy these leadership positions, but they're not small, small business, small. So they don't have, you know, this lack of defensiveness in diversification of revenues, customers, products, geographies, but they're not big so that they attract too much capital almost so that the returns are eroded and the risks. Yeah. Are yeah. Well, it's fast. It's almost the neglected part of the market that, I mean, even when I, I originally heard about Epsilon, it was through a presentation and one of your colleagues was speaking and, and I remember hearing it and being like, I'd, I'd never personally heard of this segment of the market. And maybe that's more of a naivety of me again, exploring and learning more, but there's that these are companies that are doing, you know, relatively or very, very well. It's not like they're, they're up and coming. They've just decided to go, I've got this bright, brilliant idea and I need cash now. It's, they've got a proven track record. They've done the hard work. It's just, yeah, as you say, they're not going to get that recognition from top tier banks. Uh, uh, to, to get the money and that, that's where, you know, Epson comes in and assume there's, as yet, there's a lot of money in the loan space. There'd be, you know, countless of others. But I mean, when you're, you're thinking back, uh, touching on earlier when we talked about when you, you started it, I mean, what have you noticed has changed within this market since 2020 through that time until now, which is 2023? I mean, the whole landscape has completely shifted. And I mean, being in, in your shoes, has there been that much real change in activity or has it been, again, this, this segment of the market that's been relatively protected? Um, I, I don't, <laughs> it's sort of hard to sort of pinpoint really. So that's, 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 that's the right question to ask. Has it been protected? And then the natural extension of that question is what is it protected from? So rewind to 2019, 2018, 2020. What is it that's unraveling now? That the mid market is protected on from well it's a ridiculous amount of surplus kind of liquidity stimulus pumping into the market that's elevated public equity market valuations globally that's overstimulated the purchase price multiples that these mega funds are willing to buy private companies for okay it's it's the ridiculous amount of capital that's flowed into the real estate sector that has meant that cap rates on commercial property are unsustainably low. It's the discretionary spend that consumers have due to zero interest rates. If you're a medium-sized company and you're not exposed to the consumer, so you might be a B2B business, um, a telco, an education company, a healthcare company, um, you haven't been the recipient of all of that stimulus, all of that excess supply of capital. And so what we found over the last three years to answer your question is not a lot has changed mm. for us. Now, you know, I'm not saying nothing has changed. Okay. So they're still, you know, they're now paying more for their borrowing costs. Sure. Um, but they're not paying that much more than long-term historic average. Right. So it's yeah. not like, whoa, surprise rates are three, three and a half percent. That's, that's crazy high. It's not, it's not high. Right. Mm. Yeah. 15% is high. <laughs> yeah. Um, the labor market is still tight. Okay. So people are, uh, you know, their overheads are under a little bit of pressure and their margins are under a bit of pressure because they're having to pay a bit more to attract good people. Um, supply chains are still a little bit finickety. So if they're sourcing stuff from offshore, it might cost them a little bit more to get it. Electricity prices are a bit higher. So, but these are things that, you know, uh, there's never, you know, a steady state in business. These are things that fluctuate through any market cycle. And what we love about the mid market is if you look through 20 odd years of data, the typical purchase price multiple, so the value of a medium-sized company, doesn't really change. 
again, because you don't have this markets driven dynamic that dictates the supply and demand of capital. It's all a private market. It's willing buyers mm. and willing senders negotiating directly with each other um, in a reasonably capital constrained environment. Always, you know, there isn't tons of offshore money looking for a home in the mid market in Australia. And that means that it's got quite low volatility on a relative basis. Okay. And I mean, that's sort of what I, in a way suspected, because I feel that a lot of what is happening, it is this, this massive influx of cash, but it's in a way isolating in certain areas. And we saw market overvaluations of at least, you know, in the equity markets with some of these companies. And now this down to earth realization that they never shouldn't have got there. And it was this, you know, the, the unknown of, of people going in uneducated and having a bit of fun with it. And then the reality kicked in that, you know, you printed all this, these billions and trillions of dollars worth of cash. And then there's going to be really, there's, there's going to be issues involved with that laid down the track. And I, it was one of those tough situations at the time, but now it's the, the repercussions of those actions are coming in, but within the, the segments of the market that aren't necessarily getting as heated as, as we sort of see every day in the news and the headline. So from, from your perspective now, where do you see the, the private credit, um, industrial sector going and in particular Epsilon, where, where do you see the next future five to 10 years down the track for the, for the company? Well, I think that there's a hell of a lot of potential to better support the middle market in Australia and, and give them the capital they need to see Australia improve its productivity as a country. Um, there is, I truly believe there is a shortage of capital to support the growth of these companies. And these are great businesses that should be competing on a national and, and global basis. Uh, but they don't have the capital, the access to the capital to, to achieve their potential. And offshore it's been demonstrated the supply of capital from private funders, private asset managers, um, can unlock a lot of productivity, can unlock a lot of growth potential that is constrained because bank appetite just isn't there. And, and so I hope that Epsilon is one of many private credit managers that really support the growth of the middle market, um, so that Australia, you know, isn't just known for houses and holes global basis It's known for, you know, great manufacturing footprint, um, yeah, fulfilling its potential as an education leader globally, a, a very strong healthcare system. Um, there's a whole bunch of industries that we have the natural resources to allow these industries to build upon. Um, where we haven't fulfilled our, our potential as a country. And so I believe the middle market can be the engine room of that growth on a national agenda basis. And I hope that private credit is a big part of it and Epsilon's in the mix. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I think Australia really, you know, the pandemic really showed that countries need to invest in their own. And we're seeing that across the, the country and, and across the, the globe really. And, you know, Australia, we, we tend to, to follow a lot from, from other countries and you maybe we're a bit behind the eight ball with, with this side of, of developments, but you, you can just see there is so much potential in this, in the, in the Australian country and even New Zealand as well to, to develop and actually grow. Um, and you know, if it's a neglected sector or, and as I said, you know, an area I didn't even necessarily know existed and sounds a bit naive, but now I can, I can happily say I know a bit more about it and, you know, for, for listeners as well. And, and for companies that might be out there, like there are these avenues to be explored and. It's really just about knowing that there is that out there to, 
to, to hit that, that little medium area that, you know, you might not necessarily be able to get the capital or funding for. So for, for listeners that want to learn more about Epsilon and, and what you guys are doing and follow the story and, and how you're going, where, where can they go to get more information? Yeah, go to www.epsilondl.com.au. That's our website. Plenty of information on there. Um, we're all on LinkedIn as well. So if you want to look us up, um, you can get in touch there and we'd love to hear from you. Oh, awesome. I, I mean, the last thing that I can think of off the top of my head is, is what do you say for, for business owners and, and entrepreneurs that are looking to, again, in that sort of sticky situation now that are looking to, to thrive? I mean, what sort of encouragement is there for, for them in regards to getting access to these sorts of potential cashes and, and sums of money? Yeah, there are quite a few, believe it or not, a lot of private credit funds out there and they all have their niches. Um, some specialize in, in very kind of small areas of that trillion dollar loan market. We're in a, an area that occupies about $70 billion um, of that trillion dollars, 7% of the market. That's medium-sized companies um, seeking capital for growth purposes. Um, so it's a reasonably deep segment of that market. Um, I'd, I'd encourage business owners to identify why it is they want to borrow money. Uh, what is, um, what segment they fit within. So are they a property developer, a construction firm, a trading company that provides goods and services, an infrastructure company, understand what it is, um, what segment of the market they occupy from a lender's lens, and then just get out there and have 50 coffees, you know, apply the old school networking rule and just talk to a lot of people out there and, and network to hell. And, um, you will find, I'm pretty sure that there are a bunch of lenders that, that can meet your needs outside of the major banks. And, and it's, it's, it, it's a cheap option. Um, yeah, getting a, a term sheet from a private credit fund, it's not particularly, it doesn't cost you anything for starters. Well, certainly not Epsilon. We issue term sheets, you know, without, um, charging fees for that. We want to put our best foot forward and offer attractive financing. And at least then you understand what it looks like on a relative basis to, to, to borrowing from the traditional route of banks. Mm. Well, no, I, it's amazing. I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation and, and thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. And yeah, I look forward to seeing where this, this sector of the market goes and the growth and in particular touching base with you in the next six to 12 months to see how, how it is unfolding and what sort of success stories are, are coming through. So thank you, Joe, for taking the time to speak with me on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, Ben. Thanks for listening to the Market Bull Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please make sure to like and subscribe. You can follow the Market Bull on our socials at Twitter and LinkedIn by searching the Market Bull. You can also subscribe to our newsletter on the website by visiting www.themarketbull.com.au.